Hello and welcome to Corbett's Comments. I'm Dr. Otis Corbett and I invite you to come along with me as I share biblical exposition and commentary. I truly believe that God's Word is one of our greatest helps as we live for Him in the world today. And so like the psalmist, let us agree to hide His Word in our hearts that we may not sin against Him. Hello, I'm Otis Corbett, and on March 30th, 2022, I had the opportunity to lead the Wednesday night Bible study at Westview Baptist Church in Op, Alabama. I spoke on Matthew 23, and I gave a word about how to irritate God. And this is the Bible study that I provided that night. So tonight, as, uh, as I lead this Bible study tonight, I want to talk to you on the subject of how to irritate God. Now, that might not be your goal in life to irritate God, but it is something that people do because there are times we all like to pretend that we are something that we are not. And in fact, apparently there is a vibrant business now that goes on to help people pad their resumes to help people develop stuff, to put in their resumes that they didn't do so they can get a job. And uh, sometimes we've actually seen people hack university computers to put someone's name in uh, as a graduate or even to change their grades, the GPAs, so that people can get a job or to backstop that resume. Um, yes, sometimes people try to pretend that they are something that they are not. Paul Harvey told a story once about a young law school graduate had just launched out into his career and um, had developed a, uh, uh, trying to develop a law practice. And so he was doing everything he could to show that he was a powerful, competent young lawyer. And so he opened his new law office and was uh, sitting at his desk waiting for this first client. And guess what? He heard the outer door of his office open. And he heard some footsteps, and so wanting to make a good impression, he picked up his phone and started to talk into his phone as if he was talking to a very important client. And he was just talking away. And the, the person uh, looked in, and he motioned the friend and had him sit down, and he was talking away. And then he put his hand over the receiver and said, can I help you to the new visitor? And the new visitor said, yes, I'm here to install your phone. <laughs> And so sometimes, often, many times, what we do is we try to pretend to be something we are not. And in fact, we often try to impress the almighty God of the universe. All through history, people have tried to impress God, have been tried to, to uh, show him we're something that we're not. Even though God knows our secrets already, we try to do things to impress him. One of the things I have said before, and I don't want to be misunderstood in saying this, is I have said before, I don't really understand how prayer works. And the reason I say that is God knows everything we, we, that we do before we know it. He knows our situation of life. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows whether we are paying attention or stre stressed out. Or, or he's going to... He knows whether the guy behind you in church on Sunday starts to snore or not. 
Now that wasn't in this church Sunday. It was in a it was in a Covenant County church. We were visiting this last Sunday and, and we were listening to the sermon and, and guy behind us started to snore. God knows that he was snoring. God knows that the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. And 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 when we try to be something we're not before God, what we wind up doing is irritating him. And that's what we're going to see tonight in Matthew chapter 23. So let's look at that. And we'll start with uh, the first four verses. Now, uh, Gary goes verse by verse. And I appreciate that. There are many good preachers that go verse by verse. And then there are other preachers like me uh, <laughs> who, who don't go verse by verse. Uh, I, I like to take scripture in larger chunks. And so let's look at verses one through four. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So what we see in these four verses is the very first point I want to emphasize tonight, and that is this, that God gets irritated by religion because religion is burdensome. Religion is burdensome. See, in, in the day that uh, Jesus lived, there were two basic parties in Israel in the Sanhedrin. Now, uh, we got to remember that Israel is not a modern um, see, uh, modern state, a modern democracy like we are have today. There was no such thing as separation of, of church or synagogue and government in those days. Uh, and in fact, there was, uh, it was a kingdom. It actually, it was a kingdom uh, under the rule of Rome. And so the Jews governed themselves through the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the the ruling uh, assembly there in the temple. And in the Sanhedrin, there were two parties. And they were, you know, roughly equal to each other, sort of like we have today, where we have Democrats and Republicans. But they were, of course, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And you have these two religious groups, each one trying to control Israel. The Sadducees would be what we would call liberals. You know, they wanted to get along with Rome. They wanted to, uh, to have the authority over Israel, but they wanted to accommodate the world. And then you had the Sadducees and the Sadducees, oh, excuse me, the Pharisees. Then you had the Pharisees and the Pharisees would fight the world and they would fight the Romans. Uh, they would be more like, uh, more in, uh, in sympathy with the zealots who were trying to actually overthrow the Roman government of Israel. But they would um, fight against the world. The, the Sadducees, the liberals, would say, if you can't beat them, join them. You know, if, 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 if we can't overcome the world with the Scriptures, we might as well adopt the world's procedures in our churches. That would be the Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees had a different perspective. 
They tried to protect the law. Let me tell you, nobody needs to protect the Word of God. The Word of God stands on its own. Nobody needs to protect it. But the, the Pharisees tried to protect the Word of God by putting fences around it. Now, this is an illustration of how a Pharisee would think. I, I will not vouch for this as the honest truth, but it's an illustration of the way a Pharisee thought. I cannot tell you I have tracked this down to, to be an honest fact, but it is a fact about the way the Pharisees thought. The Pharisees said you should not take a bath on the Sabbath. Why is that? Well, if you take a bath and you get out of the bath, you might get cold. And if you got cold, you might snuggle up to the fire. And if you snuggled up to the fire, the drops of water on your back might evaporate. And if the drops of water on your back evaporated, you were boiling water. And if you're boiling water, you're cooking. And if you're cooking, you're working, and you can't work on the Sabbath. Now that's an illustration of the Pharisaical mindset. The, the Sadducees would just say, hey, you know, it's all symbolic anyway, so we can do whatever we want. But the Pharisees are putting this big fence around it, these strict legal rules. And in doing that, both of these folks, both of these sets, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were both denying the power of God. Now, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees here, but what he said applied exactly to the Sadducees also. So it doesn't matter who you are, whether you are a fundamentalist or a liberal, but religion, as thought of by humans, human religion denies human freedom. Either they put up barriers between God and man, saying you must do certain works to be righteous, or you say you must accept anything someone else does because it's okay for them to relate to God that way, so you let them do what they want to do. You see, there's either way you're denying the will of God and you're denying the freedom we have to follow God as the Scriptures and our conscience and the Holy Spirit dictates. And what happens is it places all that responsibility back on you to decide which one is right and to comply. With liberals, of course, liberal, uh, liberal ideology is that uh, they, they tolerate everything except an idea that doesn't comport with what they believe. You, you know, they, they're very tolerant of everything except when you disagree with it. Now, fundamentalists is very different. They, you know exactly, you know exactly what they believe. Many years ago, my wife and my daughter, my daughter had a friend in school whose church was having a revival. And she invited my daughter to go to her church. And my wife decided to take my daughter uh, and to go to that person's church and, and to go to that revival service. And when they came home, my wife came to me and said, we were the only females in this church not wearing a dress. Now, is it wrong to wear a dress? 
No, dresses are nice. But if everybody's wearing a dress, what does that tell you? It was expected that you wear a dress. Now, let me tell you, I'm going to be a little old-fashioned here, and I'm going to say something that might offend people, but Americans dress in rags these days. Do you notice that? Have you noticed that? Have you ever noticed that? Have you been to a funeral lately? That's all I've got to say. Sometimes we actually do need to dress up a little bit. Okay? Just, just say it. Now, my wife, I get in trouble with my wife when I say that, but I'm just saying. At the same time, I'm not expecting everybody here to come in a suit and tie and women to wear dresses. There is a right path to follow. Now, Jesus did not come to encumber us, but instead he came to set us free. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31, says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers the day that it took them out by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No, long, no, no more shall men, every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. Matthew 11, verse 30 says, says this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice that Jesus didn't say, I have no yoke and I have no burden. Jesus has standards. The scriptures don't have standards. They're, we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. I remember very clearly talking to a subordinate once, or somebody I was supervising, and said, I want us to think outside the box. I just don't want to throw away the box. Jesus doesn't throw away the box. He said, I came to fulfill the law, not to throw it away. But he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And then John 8, 31 and following. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anybody. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So God hates religion. God hates it when we construct barriers to people by either not holding to His Word or by adding to His Word because that's burdensome. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
All right, let's move on. Let's look at chapter 23, verse 5. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you have not, you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth. For you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors. For you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humble, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. God gets irritated about religion because religion breeds arrogance. Religion breeds arrogance. See, the, the religious leaders in Israel had the attitude that I sometimes have, and that is this. Those of us, you know, those of you out there who think you're right irritate those of us who know you're, that we're right. That's the attitude they have. They believe they knew the right way, and they believe that they were the ones who had everything under control. You see, they were children of Abraham. Children of Abraham. Have you ever seen on a bumper sticker in Alabama, the little bumper sticker that says, I don't care how you did it up north. Have you seen that bumper sticker? I've seen it a lot. And I'm glad to be from Alabama. And the only thing more irritating than, than somebody from Alabama is somebody from Texas and Tennessee. Because they're proud of themselves too. But we have this idea that we do it right here in Alabama. I've seen that from the governor of the state of Alabama to the Alabama Baptist State Board of Missions. I've worked there. I've I love those folks, but there's, a, there's an attitude sometimes that we do it right here. Well, they had that attitude too. See, they were sons of Abraham. They did it right. Uh, they knew the scriptures forward and backwards. And in fact, they did. They had to go through the uh, bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah at age 13, and they had to uh, memorize the whole Torah, the first five books of the Bible. I can't memorize a phone number now because I've got a cell phone. It's got all the phone numbers in there. And when someone calls me, all I got to do is push a button and it saves the phone number for me. Can't remember anything. Sometimes when I get those uh, messages where you have the, the little password you got to put into a, 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 a website, I've gotten to where now I start to, instead of writing it down, I try to memorize it very quickly and then type it in. Now, it's, I'm like a goldfish. It, it leaves me just as soon as I type it in. But they knew everything in the scripture backwards and forwards. They dressed the right way. Again, they wore their dresses or they wore their suits and ties. They ate the right food and they looked down on anybody who didn't do what they did. They, they, they were holier than thou people. I have too many, I know too many churches. That's my problem. I know too many churches. The church that Jerry and I know back home whenever we're, we're back home. And, and that church always has the attitude that they are the righteous remnant. Again, they do it the right way. You know what I'm talking You know the one I'm thinking of, don't you? Never mind. And they thought also a lot of themselves. I mean, you have to have self-respect 
And you have to be competent to be a leader. You have to be. Part of being a leader is being competent. Very uh, many times I've told a young preacher about preach. I say, just remember, you're the very best preacher preaching in this church today. You're the best one. You may be the only one, and you probably are, but you are the best one preaching in, the, in this church today. But sometimes people get arrogant. Uh, I, I, I think about the Southern Baptist Convention. Back, back in 1979 or 78, we adopted a program called Bold Mission Thrust. And the Southern Baptist Convention to set themselves a goal to preach the gospel to every human in, in the world by the year 2000. Not, not evangelical Christians doing that. Not every Christian group working together. Southern Baptists, I don't know we have 14 million churches. We didn't have that many back then. But our 14 million members and 50,000 churches. I know we don't have, didn't have, but still. We, we were going to preach the gospel to every living soul in the world by the year 2000. It's a lofty goal. And it's an appropriate goal in many ways, but we really thought we could do it. I'm not sure we've preached the gospel to every person in Andalusian op yet. To be honest, especially considering how many people I see on the lake as I drive to churches on Sunday morning. And some of those are vacationers, I know, but not everybody. Anyway, they expected these religious leaders that, you know, you have to be confident, but they had a very high opinion of themselves and they always wanted to be first in everything. They wanted to sit up front and they wanted to have the attention and they wanted to have people recognize them. And that arrogance is disgusting to God. It's the opposite of the attitude of people with true faith. Because, see, people with true faith realize that we can do nothing ourselves to be saved. We know that our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. True faith means that we need to cast ourselves on God's mercy in shame over our sin. 2 Samuel twenty-two twenty-eight 28 says, you will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. Psalm 10, 4 says, The wicked in his proud countenance, excuse me, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Proverbs 6, 17. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. And there's even an eight, those who post evil, mean things on Twitter. You know, everything that we create as humans can be used for good things. Facebook can be used for good things. Twitter can be used for good things. Instagram, all that stuff can be used for good things, but it can also be used for some evil things too. 
And of course, James 4, 6, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So human religion irritates God. It irritates God because it's burdensome. It adds things to, its, to people that God never intended us to have. It gives us burdens that God never intended us to carry. And also, it's irritating because it breeds arrogance. There are elite people who know more than the rest of us. And they must be honored and they must be given priority. And they must sit down front and you must listen to them because they are smarter and wiser and more spiritual than you are. Then verse 13. This is a long passage, so let's see. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anybody swears by the gift that's on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and, and, is, and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of law and mercy and faithfulness, and justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without uh, neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like white-washed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but, are, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you, are, so you also outwardly appeal righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we not, would not have taken part in shedding the blood of the prophets. Religion irritates God because it just offends him. I mean, it just offends him. You know, have you ever just looked at something and it just offended you? I mean, you just look at something that just offended you. I, I have to confess there's, that sometimes I hear people say things and it just, it just sets my teeth on edge. I have recently, in the last couple of years, heard several uh, denominational leaders, not in Alabama, but other places, talk about a ministry or a ministry platform and they would say said things like, um, 
It is losing too much money. And that just sets my teeth on edge because ministries don't make money. Ministries spend money. Ministries take money and they use it to bless people. Now, a ministry may not be covering its costs. A ministry may not be affordable. There may be something that, that, a, that you just can't afford to do anymore. A ministry may not be accomplishing its task, but a ministry doesn't lose money. That's the ideas and concepts of the commercial world and the, and the corporate world coming into ministry. And it just sets my teeth on edge. It just offends me. It just does. Well, if you think I get offended by that, God really gets offended by religion because it causes many crimes. And I'm just going to go down this list. First, it robs people of their salvation. According to verse 13, people uh, do not get saved because of religious requirements or religious schemes. Sometimes, a and many times, religion is an excuse simply to steal from people, particularly poor people. Think back to the 1980s and Jim and Tammy Faye Baker and the Praise the Lord Club. How many retired people would send them checks that was basically being squandered and misused. And I, I can pick on them, but there's many others that have done it over the years. It just happens to be one you'll recognize. So, so it's not just them. There's other folks that do it too, that, that, that buy into religion and it help you will buy into it too because they need your money and they want it. It teaches people lies instead of truth. Boy, there's a lot of lying going on. And, and before we start pointing fingers, I'll tell you there's lying on the left and there's lying on the right. And there's a fair amount of lying in the middle too. Okay. But religion causes people to lie. It causes people to trust in false hopes Verses 16 through 22. Things that will not save you, but you're trusting in it and you are relying on it. Uh, it neglects justice for profit. We can't afford to keep this minister going. It's not making money. Even though it may be blessing hundreds of people or thousands of people, we can't do this anymore because it's not making money. It's losing money. We have to stop this. It majors on the minors. Had a, I have a, a lot of people I know from the military. I spent 26 years uh, serving one way or the other in uh, active army or the National Guard. Uh, I, uh, before that, I grew up in a troop town, and I just love the way soldiers talk. Sometimes I, many times I cannot repeat to you what they say. I'll just be honest with you, but I just they, they are so expressive in their way of describing things. And sometimes it's very apt. Because there was this, there's a saying, you don't need to pole vault rat droppings. Think about it. It makes perfect sense. Well, you don't even need to step over rat droppings. You can just, I mean, just, I mean, it's no big deal. But that's what, that's what religion does. 
It makes you go far beyond what you need to do. It puts right requirements upon you that, that you really can never fulfill. You can never do the right thing. Just right. Religion looks good on the outside. Starting with verse 25. But it's rotten on the inside. Um, a tree with a rotten core may look perfectly sound on the outside, but it's dangerous. A tree with a rotten core, if you're not careful, with a wind like it's coming tonight, it will just fall over. And even if you are someone who's trained, we train, we have some of the best training there is for people to use chainsaws in our disaster relief ministry. We have had people who use chainsaws all their lives go to our disaster relief training um, uh, on using chainsaws and they've realized they don't know how to use a chainsaw. <laughs> they, they, they really, they've used, they may use it on a weekly basis, but until they have that, they really don't know how to use a chainsaw. But what we've learned is that those rotten trees that are rotten on the inside but solid on the outside, when you're cutting on them, they can splinter and fall and hurt you. And that's the way religion is. It looks good on the outside, but it's rotten on the inside. And Jesus condemned this kind of religion. In fact, He proclaimed woe on people. Uh, 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 a a ex Exclamation of dismay and, and also grief. So, you know, that saying, I love it. So it's so expressive. Really? Really? I mean, really? 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 That expression is, is not only shows frustration and anger, it also shows sort of a sadness and a disbelief. And that's the way God is about religion. He looks at religion and says, really? You think that impresses me? Really? Really? And that's the way Jesus looked at religion being portrayed in Israel. See, faith is not rules. Faith is a relationship. Religion is rules. Faith is relationship. It is coming to know Jesus and coming to know God and allow that conversation. See, I think the thing about, about prayer as I've been thinking about it, and I'm not sure I'm right. That's why I still say that I don't know if I know how prayer works. It's not so much that you have to tell God anything is that God wants to talk with us. Many times our children will come to us and we already know what they're going to tell us. You know, we know they knocked over the milk or, or we know that they ripped their pants or, or we know they failed algebra. Or we know that they found a beautiful flower because we see it in their hands and they come up to you and say, see what I found? Isn't this pretty? And we already see it, fine, you know, when she's coming to the door. It's not the issue of God knowing or not knowing. It's that God wants to talk with us and to fellowship with us. I don't know why. I don't even want to fellowship with myself. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, yeah, but, but God loves people and he wants to have a relationship with us. So religion is offensive to God. And finally, what we see about religion 
is that, it's, that it is its own worst enemy. Look at verse 31. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers. How's that for a sermon, by the way? <laughs> have, you, have you ever had a pastor call you a brood of vipers? I hope not. You serpent, I have, I did know that my, my, our home church pastor, Jerry and I, uh, the one who did our wedding ceremony, once called the people who come to church only on Easter, Easter bunnies. On Easter, he called them that. Never mind, you had to be there, I guess, but it was. Mm. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some uh, you will flog in your own synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that, on, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the death of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. On the way to the, on the, way, on the, way to the pulpit, this poor fellow got murdered. We haven't seen that in a church in a long time, and I hope we never do. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who, sent it, who are sent it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, Jesus came for us to have life. He says, I come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. God wants us to have life. And life comes from the relationship we have with God, not religion. And see, religion has no power to give life because it's something we as humans created. It's not something that God inspired or God approves of or, or God gave us the design for. It's something we came up with ourselves. When our children were small and we were trying to help them with something, they had learned to say, and that was, I'll do it myself. They said it all the time. Now, that I'm glad they were trying to be independent and sometimes... They're a little bit too independent even now as adults. But here's the thing. Religion is telling God, I can do it myself. But there's no power in that because the power comes from the relationship with God. Matthew 12, verses 31 and 32 says this. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be not be forgiven him. It will be forgiven him. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. The power for relationship doesn't come from us. It comes from God. It comes from His Spirit. Then 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. through But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, 
without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. The scriptures tell us that, that Satan knows who God is. The spirits, the evil spirits know who God is and they tremble, but they're not willing to allow God to be their God and their Lord. And so people do this today. People, people pursue a religious ideology today. They come to church because they always have. <laughs> I keep no, I have these too many stories. It's terrible. I had a fellow at a church I was pastor of once. He, he was there every time the door was open. But he had never joined the church. He would never join our church. And the reason was his mommy and daddy were buried at the church down the road. And he was a member of that church. And if he joined our church, he wouldn't be a member of that church and he couldn't be buried next to mom and daddy. And that was more important than being a member of the fellowship where he was worshiping on a regular basis. Some people don't come to church because they find it boring. I don't think the fellow that fell asleep Sunday was found it boring. I just think when he was sitting still, he just drifted off. You know how that is. Well, if you don't, you will know how it is. <laughs> some don't come to church. Some don't worship God because they never have. Jerry's a retired school teacher. And every year in her school teaching career, the children became less and less coming from families that went to church. Less and less she would have children every year that ever went to church, ever did anything in terms of Bible school or anything like that. But it's not about church. It's not really about us. It's about God. It's about God and our relationship to Him. So if you want to irritate God, I don't think that's a worthy career goal. You know? I don't think that's a worthy career. That's another thing that uh, I love my soldier friends for saying. Because something goes wrong, somebody makes a mistake, and they'll say, well, that wasn't very career-enhancing, was it? No, it's not very career-enhancing, but it's also not very life-enhancing. We don't want to irritate God. We shouldn't want to irritate God. But if you know something that irritates God, human religion irritates God. And we need to put that aside and embrace the grace and love and care that he has for us through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. You know, soon Easter will be here. And Easter is the day that marks, well, Good Friday through Easter, that those days mark just how much God loves us and how much he wants to have a relationship with us. And nothing that we can do humanly can ever top, ever top Good Friday and Easter Sunday. You know, when a comedian has said the last funny joke that's ever going to be spoken, they drop the mic, they do a, a mic drop, right? Nobody ever has the right to do a mic drop anymore, ever did, because Jesus had the ultimate mic drop. 
on Easter Sunday, and he did it for us because he loves us. Don't irritate God by being religious. Love God by having that relationship with him. Thanks for listening. I'll be back soon to comment on more scripture that we can consider together to help us in our everyday lives. Every blessing. I'm Dr. Otis Corbett.